What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Separation is in the Preparation podcast. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Katie Meyer. Katie, how are you? I'm doing well. Um, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. Um, I'm excited to talk about the mentality and how preparation can really separate you. I love the theme of this, and I'm excited. Awesome. Well, equally excited to have you on. Um, I guess to begin, could you just quickly kind of introduce yourself to the listener and then uh, talk a little bit about what you do? Yeah, sure. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Meyer. I am one of the goalkeepers at Stanford University. Um, We play in the fall, so that's coming right up. And Stanford soccer is the absolute best, and I am loving my life, living the dream. And other than that, I study international relations and history, and I will be applying for law school this August. So I've got a lot of stuff going on, but soccer is always number one and has been number one love of my life since I can remember. So I'm so blessed to be where I am. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. No, if if the season wasn't busy enough, throwing in a law school application, I think will certainly keep you occupied. Yeah. I guess you you talked about soccer being a big thing for you for your whole life. I kind of love to talk a little bit about sort of your earliest experiences with athletics. Was it always soccer? Were there other sports that you played? Um, I did a little bit of everything. Soccer was definitely the first thing and also the one that stuck. I have an older sister. She's two years older than me. And she she got into soccer through her friends, you know, like the little rec league where one of the moms is the coach. And I was going to her practices and kind of messing around. And then I was like, mom, dad, I want to do this too. So I started playing as a rec player on the Bubblegum Babes. <laughs> and what a name. after that, what a name. Every time you scored a goal, you got a pack of bubble gum. And that was just like, the the best feeling knowing that you're getting gum at the next practice um so yeah I started as a forward and then I joined a club team and my first season as a forward on that club team I scored one goal I played probably two minutes every half and at the end of the season my coach said you know what like you're not you're not very good at this you're gonna go play on the B team And the B team didn't have a goalkeeper. And I was like, mom, dad, I want to be on the A team. I I don't want to be a B team player. And my dad played basketball and my mom was a track star cheerleader type. Um, So I was like, it would make sense if I had better hand-eye coordination than foot-eye coordination. So I was like, "Let let me try going in goal. And at first they were like, no, no, no. And eventually they took me to the sports store and we got a $10 pair of goalkeeper gloves. And my dad would just play catch with me for hours in the backyard. And within, I think two months, I was back on the A team as a goalkeeper and it stuck ever since. So I've been playing in goal since I was 10. And other than that, I did like horseback riding, ice skating, um, volleyball, like just like basically everything, dancing, but I never, I never did basketball, which is funny because that's like what my dad actually did. But yeah, uh, soccer just stuck. So after, after I became a goalkeeper, I was obsessed. I jumped around from like club to club. And eventually I got into the ECNL, which is the most competitive club soccer league. Stayed for one, with one club for five years and then switched to another, which I ended up aging out of. But it's funny because that coach, that first 
cut me as a forward ended up becoming a college coach and he was the first college coach to offer me a scholarship as a goalkeeper so it's just like kind of one of those like yeah full circle circle, (laughs) full circle turnaround and it just kind of shows like you you will end up where you're meant to be and it was kind of tough to get cut as a (laughs) nine-year-old and be like oh you're you're really not good at this scored one goal but I just had such a good such a good system with my parents and my sisters and just like always keeping it fun, always keeping it light. And so once I got in goal, it was like, oh, this, these gloves fit for sure. Like, this is, this is awesome. And I just kept falling in love with it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, it's so interesting to me, like as a goalkeeper as well, everybody who plays the position, I think kind of has a different path that they took to eventually um, playing in goal, but yeah, no, it is such a fun position and it is a very stressful position too. If you don't let it sort of remain fun. Um, So it's great to hear that your kind of family was a great sort of support system because certainly as you grew into the game, you got into some bigger and more competitive environments. I know you had a lot of national team experience, which sort of just like getting cut as a nine-year-old, like playing at that level as a young person, there's a lot of kind of external factors that, go into being selected to a national team and, and getting called into camp. So I kind of love to hear you talk a little bit about sort of what those experiences were like for you. Oh yeah. National, I think national team camps were probably like the highlight of my teenage years. Um, I met so many, so many amazing players and coaches that I'm still in touch with. So I think that that is probably the most significant thing I've gotten out of it. If not the soccer would be just like the relationships that I've built with girls who I'm now competing against with in college. It's been like really fun to stay in touch and grow with each other and um, just continue to like compete at the highest level. But I first went into a camp, I think I was 16 and it was with the U16 national team, which was kind of a little late actually. A lot of girls were getting called up when they were 14, but a pretty well-known fact about me is I'm a smaller goalkeeper. I'm about 5'8". My mom makes me say five nine because um, in cleats I'm technically five nine, but I'm on the smaller side, and I didn't grow till I was uh, till I was about in high school. So I was always kind of overlooked, um, and I just like wasn't part of a big club. So I got into the game a little bit late, and after after my first camp, I think they kind of took a chance on me, and I ended up playing with the U16 team and up with the U17 team at the same time, which was a lot of pressure and a lot of travel, but I love pressure and I love travel. So I was living the life. There we go. And exactly. I was in camp like every month and a half, every month it was like, Hey, where am I going? Am I getting invited? I hope, I hope I did enough to get invited back. And it, it was so intense, but so fun. And I ended up staying with the U16 team for like the two year cycle, the full two year cycle. And Something kind of interesting happened with the U17 team where I'd been training with them for a year um, leading up to the U17 World Cup. And I knew I was the third keeper. And so I didn't make the qualifying roster because they only took two, which hurt, hurt really bad because I thought like, you know, maybe, maybe they'll take me to this qualifying roster. My first big tournament got cut. And then I got invited right back to the next camp. And it's like, okay, you weren't there, but like World Cup probably. And so I kept training, kept training. And then the camp before we were going to head to the World Cup, our head coach brings in five goalkeepers. 
and it had just been the same three of us for the last year. And I got so shell-shocked and so intimidated by the idea that like, whoa, this, this spot is not secured that I, I would, I would say that I choked. And I think like, as like the 16 year old playing up, it was, it was really hard to like have that experience and like be suddenly question everything you thought you knew. I mean, I was on the, the phone with this coach two weeks before and he was saying like, you know, if nothing goes wrong, you'll probably go to the world cup. So I was like thinking like, hell yeah, I'm going like, let's, let's do this. Let's win a world cup. And then two weeks later getting sent home in the middle of a camp because my coach called me down to the lobby and was basically like, Hey, you actually, you actually haven't been improving. We're, we're not taking you. We're taking someone brand new. And that plane ride back from, it, it might've been Michigan. Yeah, it was that plane ride from Michigan to LA back to my family. Suddenly like everything I thought I knew the build up into this world cup, a year long preparing to be one of the last players cut from that roster was it shook me. It shook me so hard. And I just committed to Stanford, like maybe the, maybe the year before or a few months before. And now suddenly I was not this rock star anymore. I was, I was a kid who got cut. And after that, I bounced around on the U18 team, the U19 team, the U20 team. But the constant theme was just getting cut, 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 cut. And I was just like, this is so, so frustrating. And I think that's the part of the youth national team camps that kind of, you kind of really don't talk about um, is what it is like to be a player on the bubble. And I was so happy. I cried every time I got that email, like you're, you're coming to camp. I cried tears of joy. I ran around my house. I screamed at my mom upstairs, mom, I got invited again because I just never knew. And I would never think too far in advance after that. And I think, I think getting cut from that U17 team was probably one of the best things for me because it made me realize like, this is not my peak. This is not like this, this can't be the end. Cause I mean, you could get cut from that team and say, you know what? I don't want to compete anymore. I'm not doing yeah. this, but it made me realize like, like how bad I wanted it and how bad I was willing to work for it. So it was like right before my junior year of high school, I think. And I was like, okay, well, if I'm, if I'm not going to have this U17 World Cup, I am sure going to have the U20 World Cup, which ended up getting canceled due to COVID. But um, long story short, uh, kind of getting cut, pulled me back um, and launched me forward at the same time because it made me just like want to come into Stanford so ready, so prepared and just like start crushing it and make them make them regret that they didn't pick me and you know things don't go as planned sometimes but I I came into Stanford ready and I think like the ups and downs of a career especially as a goalkeeper kind of build this mental toughness in you to like keep pushing on even when things don't go your way absolutely no that's um that's really really well said and there are a couple of things you touched on there that that really resonated with me I think you you talked a little bit about like the recruiting process, the national team selection process is very accelerated, both on the men's and women's sides, but I would say even more on the women's sides. Like there were, you I mean, you have young women committing to college at, at 14 years of age, which is really, really early to be making like a really, really big decision. Mm -hmm. um, and I think 
you talked about kind of like the mental toughness and fortitude that you gain from those experiences. Like as a goalkeeper, so much of the game is I, for me, in my eyes is your, the way that you react to adversity, the way that you grow through the experiences that you have, right? I think everything good or bad. And I, th- I think you could attest this, like ends up benefiting you in the long run. Um, so it's interesting to sort of see how you were maybe a little bit, you just said you were a little bit late to the game in terms of being selected, but maybe that adversity kind of paid, paid dividends kind of moving forward. Yeah. I mean, I hope so. I mean, I, I'm always kind of been like, well, goalkeepers mature so late. Like I'm, I'm not going to hit my stride until I'm 26, 27. And I want to play till I'm 35. So I'm in it for the long game for sure. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's the best mentality. And I loved how you like the way you're talking about celebrating each uh, camp selection and not taking it for granted. Cause as somebody who was like, never even close to being close to being on the bubble, like, um, I don't know. It, it makes me happy to hear like someone like yourself who is kind of consistently called in um, to not take it for granted. Cause it's because I mean, to represent your country, to play with the best players is, is, is a serious honor for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, a, it's such an honor. And like, it, it's almost wild to like be sitting where I am now. I haven't been into camp since ooh, January of 2020 because then the pandemic hit and kind of shut everything down. But like to look back and be like, that's what I was doing with my teenage years, like traveling, across the world with some of my best friends like representing the United States like it was such an honor and like I wouldn't trade that experience like the highs and the lows for anything in the world so it's I I hope eventually like I can get back into it and hopefully maybe after this college season they they give me a look and hopefully I'm just prepared for whatever happens next but yeah it's always an honor absolutely and I'd and I'm excited to transition a little bit into kind of how you prepare as a goalkeeper and sort of what your experience at Stanford has been like. But before we do that, I read that you were, in addition to being a soccer standard, you also were the kicker for the varsity football team at your high school. How did that um, kind of come about? Oh, uh, this is this is a funny story, actually. I was, it was summer and all, all of my friends um, growing up were, were boys besides my soccer friends because... I, I don't know, like, I never had a brother. I always really wanted one. And, like, I kind of just gravitated towards, like, the boy gang, like, always, like, playing whatever sport, like, in between classes in elementary and middle school. And then just, like, high school, like, kind of growing up with the same guys, like, as my best friends. So all of them were on the football team. And it was summer, and football was training in the mornings and then in the afternoon. So in between those two trainings, I like hopped the fence into my high school stadium and I was working on goal kicks and I just start like launching balls. Like I'm trying to hit it as far as I can. And like one of the football coaches was still kind of cleaning up from the morning session. And he like looked at me and like paused for a second. He goes, Hey, 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 can you kick a football? Like, he, like, cause he sees me like launching the soccer ball, like from 50 and he's like, can you kick a football? And I was like, I don't know. And one of my best friends on the team, like comes over and he's, he's the quarterback. And then he's like holding it for me. And he's like trying to like, tell me how to do it. And the coach was kind of like, you know what? Okay. Like, I think like on my first, my first few tries, I was hitting like 35, 40, like I, I was comfortable. And he was like, okay, like, do you want to join the team? And I was like, um, sure. Like all my, all my friends are on the team. Cool. Yeah. I'll I'll be on the team. And I, we actually had a really good kicker who, who ended up at Cal. So like, I, I played like a few games, like it was never serious, but it was always fun. Like 
just hang out with my friends. It was interesting though, because like half of the players were just like, this is no place for for a girl like mm. you don't belong here and then half of the players were like this is so sick we have a girl on our team so like kind of kind of um like being in like kind of a weird spotlight at my school because it was like oh well that, that is the kicker like that not only is that the soccer player but that's also the kicker like I've I kind of like had that spotlight and pressure on me um to like make sure I wasn't pissing anyone off by being on the football team and it, it was always cool to like have that like kind of in my back pocket because it's such a unique experience to like also just be on a team with boys. Um, I also like love training with the men's soccer team here because it's just like that much more competitive and like boys are just like, they're just funny. So like being on the football team was super fun and like I, I miss those guys. They all ended up in good spots, but we, we nearly won like a state championship once, but it was just like, it was just one of those experiences where it's like, that was just cool. Like cool part of high school. After that, I went to online school because I started um, missing too much class, but it, it was cool while it lasted. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think one thing you said that I found pretty interesting is like, you found yourself trying to strike a balance between just living the experience, but also not like pissing people off or ruffling people's feathers. Is that something that like, you feel like you still try and do now or, or is it more just like, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And if it makes people upset, it makes people upset. I think once I got to college, well, I, I kind of consider myself coming to college in like two different ways. Right. Um, once I got to college for my freshman fall and then once I got to college for my sophomore fall and the difference between your freshman and sophomore year is so, so crazy because you start figuring out who you are you make all these new friends, you figure out what classes you like, what classes you don't like, what what you want to do outside of class and what you don't want to do. So you start figuring yourself out and like showing up sophomore year, I was so much more confident and like sure of myself than I was freshman year. So I think like freshman year, I was definitely trying to like not, not make anybody angry. I was walking on eggshells. Um, and then after that fall season, I kind of started um, – like opening up a little bit more, um, making more friends and just like kind of then saying like, you know, what, I'm, I'm going to do what I want. And hopefully what I want aligns with um, what people expect of me and what people mm -hmm. want for me. I mean, I'm never going to be the type of person that goes around pissing people off on purpose, but if, if something I do bothers people as things that I have done have bothered some people, like hopefully those actions are ones that I can stand behind and be like, you know what, like, I'm pretty confident that I did this. And if you have a problem with it, like, that is totally your right. But I never want to like, have have an action that I do be one that I can't fully defend and support. So yeah, at this point, I'm kind of living my life doing what I want, taking good advice, and hopefully being able to discern that from bad advice, and just learning a lot about myself in the world. And you know, college is great. <laughs> so I'm, I'm definitely not wa walking on eggshells right now. No, that's, uh, that's very, very well said. I think some good advice I got is like other people's opinions of me are none of my business. And it's, and that sort of lines up exactly with what you said. Um, and what another thing that you mentioned that really resonated with me is the difference between the beginning of year one 
and the difference between the beginning of year two, because those, those, especially like as a goalkeeper, especially as a goalkeeper who registered, like those are experiences that we both shared. Um, it totally is. Mm -hmm. It's like showing up to, to the same place for the first time. Um, but it feels like, it, but it feels like it's a whole new different place. So I'd love to talk about, I've, I've read a little bit about how can, how can you approach the, the red shirt year and the ways that you tried to impact the team's performance, even though you weren't able to play. Yeah. Um, well, I did not know that I was going to be redshirting. Um, that was never something that I talked about with my coaches. It was never something I had considered, which is maybe on me for being ignorant or arrogant or anything, anything like a ho hopeless competitor. I was under the impression that I was coming in freshman year to compete for playing time. And thank goodness I thought that because I was prepared. Like I was ready to play. I came in excited. I came in like ready to compete. I came in ready to crush fitness tests. Um, two weeks in, I got sat down by one of my assistant coaches who now doesn't coach at um, Stanford anymore, but he's like, he was our goalkeeper coach, one of my best friends. And he was just like, sat me down. He's like, look, look, kid, you're good. You're great. You're, you're fun, but you are not ready. And we have two great older goalkeepers and they're going to play this year. So we're going to save your year for the end of your career. So then you can still play four years, but you will not play a single game this season. My jaw hit the floor, not because I didn't know that those two goalkeepers were better than me. Like I was, I was self-aware enough to be like, okay, like this, this goalkeeper is legit. Like she has it together like she's so fun to watch and so fun to learn from but I just was not expecting like a redshirt year so I like kind of went back to my room had my had my cry sesh had my pity party with the girls in my class saying oh I'm so upset I'm never gonna play and then next day you got two training sessions like it's one of those things where it's like yeah it happens and then you have to keep living you can't just stop and be like, okay, well, I thought I was gonna play this year. Now I'm not. So now I'm suddenly never gonna work hard again. Absolutely not. So I put myself back together and I was like, okay, what can I still get out of this season? And I think I decided that I'm going to be the biggest cheerleader for my teammates and that will benefit me somehow in some way. It will make me more connected to the team it will better prepare me in training. It will keep me focused. It will keep me locked in. And most importantly, it will help the team. So I basically became a sponge and learned everything I could from my coaches and the older goalkeepers. I watched them like a hawk and they were just so impressive in games and in training. And I was just like, I want to be, I want to be where they are. So I trained extra, I trained hard. The one really big challenge was because I knew and everyone knew that I was never going to play. I didn't get a lot of reps in training. Um, so if we were playing small sided or doing a shooting drill, like chances are I wouldn't get in. And that, that to me was probably like the biggest grind of it all was to just kind of sit back and watch and shag and play balls into the drill that I was watching. And like, that was the mental part where it's just like, wow, this is really frustrating. Like this, mm. like I, I just want to play. Like, yes, it was, it was an honor to like be there for my teammates and to learn. But like at the end of the day, I, I want to play. I'm a soccer player. Of 
course. Like I'm always going to be dying to play. So once that season ended, and that was when we had lost in the semifinal against Florida State, who went on to win it in 2018. Once that season was over, I had my end of the year meeting with my whole coaching staff. And I'm like sitting there. They're like, okay, like we really, you know, we really appreciate having you on the team. You're, you, we're excited for you, for your future. And my head coach, Paul, just said, you know, your redshirt season's over. It's time to see what you can really do. And I look back at him, like, just thinking about all the times I didn't get to train, all the times I didn't get to play. And I just look at him and respectfully, I just go, we're going to win the next four. And I walk out of the meeting and like, that was it. And I, and I leave for winter break. That was it. We didn't talk. And I show up back in January after season and just ready to crush. And at this point I was one, I was the only goalkeeper who was healthy um, which was unfortunate because, you know, you never want your teammates to be injured. I was the only one training. Training was always hard, always intense. I'm in the weight room. I'm getting stronger. And I just start building relationships with my teammates off the field. Um, and I'm more comfortable than I was during the fall season because I say, okay, like, I know what I'm doing now. Like, I, I've been here for six months and it's time to like, really, it's time to take the spot basically. And I'd gotten it through my head over winter break. I was like, I'm going in and I will earn this spot in the off season. So then next fall, like I'm, I'm as prepared as possible if they give me this opportunity. And I just started trying to remember who I was as a goalkeeper, because I think when you stop playing and when you stop getting tested on a week by week basis and stop having to prove yourself in that way, it is really easy to forget like, wait, I'm a goalkeeper. I'm a badass. Like, this is my field. This is my box. Like no one scores. It is hard to keep that edge when you're not playing. Mm -hmm. And like, that is like the sad reality of, of like goalkeepers who just don't play. It's like, you don't have that swag about you. You don't have that, like, like confidence, like just dripping out of you because you know that like you are the one. So I had to almost like fake it till I made it and convince myself that, you know what? I am the one and I am good and I'm going to prove it every day in training. So my, my, one of my favorite things, um, is just training. Like I, I like really grateful that like I have been consistently healthy enough to train and like, I have a good training setup here. My coaches are great because I just love training. I'm addicted. And so just every day bringing energy, um, and communicating and performing, I just began to earn the trust of my teammates and coaches. That being said, I showed up sophomore year, different person, ready to go, ready to play, thinking that like, okay, this is my year, easy money. And I get sat down in my meeting in preseason and we still had a senior goalkeeper on the team. My coach looks at me, he goes, you know, you've done everything we've asked. You're so good, you're so prepared. We're so excited for you. We do not know if you're gonna play this year. And I'm sitting at this meeting and I'm like, are you serious? Like, mm. I just, I just killed it in off season. Like I played in the spring games. Like I've been working hard. My redshirt season's over. What do you mean you don't know? And I just like kind of got humbled again. And I was like, wow. Like I really thought that like I had maybe kind of began to earn this spot. And they were like, nope. You know why? You have not proved anything. You have not played in a game, in a real game, in a Pac-12 game, in a playoff game. And 
we don't know what you're going to do still. So I start playing. Um, we start switching games and rotating. Honestly, I'm grateful that they did that and that I got into some games. And basically my coach about halfway through Pac-12 goes, you are not consistent enough to be the starter yet. You're not. If you were consistent, you would be starting. And because you're not, you're going to keep switching until you are. So then I'm like, okay, consistency, consistency, like just trying to make everything clean and simple. So then it's consistent. And by the end of Pac-12s and then going into playoffs, I kind of secured that spot. And there was still a lot of doubt about and overthinking, I would say, about how how I fit in on the team in regards to, well, am I, am I a starter? Am I going to play the next game? If I'm not the starter, am I a, am I a leader? Am, am I not? Am I insane for thinking that like I could be like, it, there was just a lot of questioning because I didn't know. And it was kind of just like this leap of faith to keep, to just keep pushing, keep going. And that was what my parents were advising me to do. My coaches, they're like, dude, just keep pushing. I think one of the most valuable things that my head coach has ever said to me, he said a lot of very valuable things, but the one thing that will always stick with me was, Katie, if you want to play, you have to like make it impossible for us to not play you because there's always going to be someone older. There's always going to be someone more experienced. So if you guys are the same, or if you're only a little better, we're going to go with experience because we trust that. You have to make it impossible for us to not play you in order to consistently play. So I was like, okay, I'm going to make it impossible. And I still don't know when it happened. I don't know why it happened, but I hit a flow. And from then on, it was like, well, let's race to this finish line. And then we got to the college cup and we ended up uh, winning <laughs> and it was crazy. And I just thought back to like the meeting I had had the winter before saying we're winning the next four. And there was one like check. Um, so the end of that season was wild. And then from, from then on, I was kind of like, okay, it feels so good to play. Um, and it kind of just reinforced like everything that I had been thinking, everything that I'd been working towards, just that joy of not only winning a championship, but just being on the field with my teammates and like just playing the game that I love. It was just like a different type of joy to like know that like I'd earned my spot and that like I was playing for Stanford, like representing the school that I love, the school that was like my dream after I committed and just like everything I'd been working towards all the hours, like with my dad <laughs> trying to figure out how to yeah. kick a ball with my right foot and trying to figure out how to catch a cross and trying to figure out how to drop kick. I think I spent two, two and a half years learning how to drop kick just so I could hit three in a game, maybe, and right. get yelled at for going long when I could just play the center back. <laughs> it's like all those out, all of those hours of just like, making sure I had the tools for them to all come together in that moment. Like hearing no so many times, no, you're not, you're not good enough to be on this team. No, you're getting cut. No, you're getting redshirted. No, we don't know if you're going to play this year to finally hearing, yes, you're playing. And yes, you're going to win the national championship. 
it was um like best day of my life so far <laughs> craziest craziest moment ever absolutely no that 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 was awesome so so many awesome things um in what you just said and a couple that i want to touch on first off i'm very impressed like you were able to turn the page as a red shirt a lot quicker than i was it took me more like a month than a day but and i think that's probably you're unique in that sense um but then i what you said about kind of being able to one be always be learning and being a sponge i really really like that because i think everybody in any sort of organization that has a hierarchy will eventually probably find themselves in a spot that is below the spot that they want to have and i think your mindset of being positive how can you positively impact it even if you're not in the top position within that hierarchy and then also the mindset of i'm going to get as much out of the people who are above me in terms of what they can teach me is super 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 valuable um and then I, I really, really liked the, the identity piece that you talked about, especially as a goalkeeper, right? If you are not playing games, not getting to compete consistently, little, little, I don't know, little creepers of doubt can kind of find their way into your mind. And um, you talked about being self-aware enough to understand that maybe the players above you in age were better than you. And I think as a goalkeeper, sometimes it's almost better to be a little bit less self-aware. Like there's this thing called the optical margin of illusion. Can I believe that I'm a little bit better than I actually am to the point where I'm not yeah. overly confident, but actually can get the juice from having that swag, having that confidence. And that is something that is so, so much easier said than actually done. So it's very cool for me to hear how you sort of navigated that process as a, as a redshirt and then kind of working into the season. Um, and I definitely want to, I'm not going to glance over the college cup because there's, there's a lot that I want to talk about <laughs> beyond winning the national championship, but um, just on the kind of a process level, you, you sort of touch on it a little bit, like when you're competing as a goalkeeper, right? It's a very difficult position because only one goalkeeper plays, right? The four best mm -hmm. makers play, the two best forwards, the four best defenders. Um, but the goalkeeper training environment is also a very sort of social and close knit one. How have you tried to sort of manage the relationships with the goalkeepers um, you're training alongside when in the back of everybody's mind, you're kind of competing for the same spot? Well, Stanford is so, so, so unique in this. Um, not only because we had one of the best goalkeeper coaches in Hideki Nakata, who's now the Utah head coach, but because the caliber of goalkeeper is so, so, so good. I mean, our, our new assistant and new goalkeeper coach, Paul, we were talking the other day. So now we have two Pauls, but we were talking the other day and he was like, yeah, I was just saying like, you know, if you're the starting Stanford goalkeeper, you're probably one of the best best 10 goalkeepers in the country. But if you're not the starting Stanford goalkeeper, you're probably one of the best 20. And I would I would amend that and be like, if you're not, if you're the Stanford starting goalkeeper, you're probably one of the best 10, sure. And if you're one of the other three, then you're probably one of the best 13. Like I'm so, so convinced that like we recruit the best of the best goalkeepers. And so you are always getting better in training. And I think like that is probably like one of the coolest things coming in as a freshman and you see how much you improve that instantly you're just bought in to like training with your teammates there have been times where it has gotten really uncomfortable um my sophomore year it almost got competitive to the point because we were switching every game and we like didn't know we had no idea what our coaches were thinking and I think that kind of like unfortunately um put some tension between us which we've now kind of dispelled, I think. But like, then when I became the oldest goalkeeper on the team, I was like, 
I, I just want to make sure that the girls who are younger and coming in um, feel supported and feel like they're seen and feel like they're valued no matter, no matter if they play every single game or no matter if they play no games, because it is still fresh in my mind, like what it felt like to not play and also what it felt like to compete in an environment that like wasn't necessarily like the best. Um, so I think like as the oldest goalkeeper, I kind of like took on the responsibility of fostering a really positive competitive environment where we're all encouraging each other. We're all going to grind and we're all going to get better. And I think the easiest way to kind of foster that environment while you're still competing is like working hard. And as long as everybody's working hard, like what are you going to get mad at? Like, and I think also just like being nice to each other off the field and like making an effort to hang out and making an effort to get to know each other and understand that like you are all going through the same thing. Um, sometimes being a goalkeeper, it feels so isolated and that like, well, nobody understands, like I just got scored on, we just lost. I know that like the rest of the team doesn't think it's my fault, but I think it's my fault. Mm -hmm. And having like, having two goalkeepers who not only empathized with me, but like cheered me on um, last season, our two freshmen, like having them back me up and like kind of be there for me in training and like me kind of like hopefully teach them a thing or two just about like what it means to be patient and what it means to just like continue to grind even when things get hard and like watching them come out of their shells I think we did a really good job of creating a positive environment and so like that's the one thing I'd like to commit to going forward with my team is like we're going to have the best goalkeepers and we're going to have fun. And so I think like taking, taking a step back and being like, yo, like if this freshman plays good for her, like we had, we had one of the freshmen go into, go into a game in the spring. And like, it was like the coolest thing for me. Like there was no sense of like, Oh my God, like they're subbing me out. I was like, let's go Michaela. Like, it's just like when you train and put that work in every day, like you want it to pay off for your teammates. So I think like being each other's biggest fans can sometimes get hard because everybody wants to play, but if she's eaten, everybody's eaten. And like, if you didn't play and your team wins a national championship, like I think it's the most important thing to like realize that you did contribute, whether you played or not, it takes every single player on a roster to win. And if one player is too worried about how many minutes they're getting, the entire team will eventually fall apart. And so it's yeah. just like knowing that it's bigger than yourself. I think is like the key to fostering a good training environment. And I think like our coaches and my teammates and hopefully myself have like done a pretty good job of making that our biggest focus is positive training environments for sure. No, I, I, I really, really truly love that. I think like the benefit of, I mean, the, the best part about a positive training environment is everybody benefits regardless where you are within the death chart. But I definitely want to kind of acknowledge and honor, like it's as the person who is, at the top, like to do that, it's one, you're being selfless, right? And then two, it's bravery, right? But I think what allows those, which are two things that are hard to do consistently. Um, but I think what allows you to maybe do that is like, you can see the bigger picture and the perspective, which is another thing I've been impressed with you. Like you have a great perspective, not only in terms of the game, but where you fall in within the team. Um, Cause I love what you said. If there's just one person who's unhappy and is thinking about themselves versus the team, then eventually like that little crack in the ship gets bigger and bigger and bigger and you, you guys can't accomplish what you want to accomplish. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, 
unfortunately COVID kind of got the best of us with that. I mean, we had so many restrictions, so many, so many rules, so many like questions I'd just gone unanswered that, I mean, I think that, I think that thinking about like all the things we were worried about and all the, all the questions, all the drama, like that did get the best of my team this spring. And I think like being one of the older players, being a leader, like that's one of the things that has upset me and motivated me the most coming into this fall is like, okay, we didn't, we didn't make the tournament. Like, I know that we had this great year the year before, um, for exactly like three months before this pandemic, we're national champions, we're on top of the world. And then a year, a year later, we're not making the tournament. We take fourth in the Pac-12. And it was kind of like, okay, well, like, how, how did this puzzle that was so perfectly like fit together, just get blown apart and suddenly pieces are scattered all over the field. And so I think like our biggest challenge as a team now has been going around and trying to figure out who are we as a team. I mean, I'm looking at my wall right now and I have like something that we had to, we wrote up like our process goals and like just hunt confidence, respect, accountability, trust. And like that process of building a good team environment and constantly deciding to put the team first, it is, it is something that has to be done intentionally. So I think like we absolutely mastered that in 2019 when we won the national championship there was never a doubt in my mind like I was that was like my big theme of that that college cup was like it's it's done it's written before it even happened no one can take this team apart because of how committed we are to each other and then to go from that to the next year after like in the middle of the pandemic trying to find a way to like make this team work that drop off was ridiculous. And it has like convinced me so much more that the deciding factor in a team's success is how committed everyone is to the team and the relationships that you build with your teammates. So I think like moving forward, like we almost have to get back to that team first, like complete collective belief in the goal. And so hopefully we can just keep building that moving forward because we still have a long way to go before we're back where we want to be. For sure. No, that's really well said. I think like to summarize, I'd say the most talented team doesn't win the national championship. The best team does. And those, 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 those goals, those process goals that you touched on, those are all integral parts of building the best team. Um, you mentioned earlier that you're like, I think you said you're addicted to training. You love to train. Um, so I'm curious, just from a goalkeeper's perspective, what are some types of exercises? What are the things that you like to do um, that feel like you prepare you best for matches? And then what, how do you sort of approach um, the off season as someone who likes to train a lot, how do you kind of take time away from it? If you do at all? Oh my goodness. Um, so I am extremely blessed to have amazing goalkeeper coaches in a lot of different parts of, of California. I have, I have a goalkeeper coach at home. I have like two or three here. And so I think like the biggest, and then my dad, who again, never played soccer, um, has become kind of a pseudo goalkeeper coach just by like raising me. So he's always right coming in sideways right on. He's always coming in sideways with like the, oh, let's use, let's like play catch with a tennis ball or like, let's, let's go run in the parking garage. Like he's always mixing things up. So I've, I've been blessed with some really great coaches, but I think like the thing that makes me feel best um, training and preparing for matches is just repetition well, I guess it's kind of a, a twofold is like one repetition and feeling sharp, feeling clean. Um, I would say my philosophy as a goalkeeper 
is to make the hard things look easy and make the easy things look easy, make everything look easy, make things as simple, as clean as possible. And you will be absolutely fine. I always say like, if my shirt is clean at the end of a game, probably best game of my life because I was just talking to my team, communicated and we never got broken down and I never had to touch the ball. Now, if my shirt is dirty and I'm like, absolutely making saves left and right, that's a great day too. But like, I, I have no like problem with, um, with just keeping things simple. And so like clean repetition, just to, like get my technique straight and to make shot stopping as easy as possible. Like I will go to the wall near my field and just bang the ball against the wall and catch it over and over and over again. I will get touches with both feet. I'll strike long balls over and over and over again. So then when I'm in training, when I'm in a game and I clip a ball into my right back from 30, 40 yards away and everyone's like, oh my gosh, great pass. I'm like, this is, this is, I don't even think about it because I'm more worried about um, like making sure I can do it in my sleep that in a game, I don't think about anything technical related I just I just play I'm just free and I think that kind of speaks to like the preparation that it takes to like be a successful goalkeeper is like you want to hit a point where when a USC forward is 13 yards out and is about to strike across her body you're not thinking like okay like let me make sure my shoulders are forward let me make sure I'm driving my hands to the ball you're just thinking like stop the shot and it's automatic it's a reaction so I would say the technical reps to get me to that point where it's just muscle memory. And then the flip side is my favorite way to train is to play. Um, I have a great goalkeeper coach at home, Ian Foyer, and he um, he's a great goalkeeper, obviously, but he's a great coach now. And one of his biggest training things is he wants to train the unpredictable scenarios. So he'll have goalkeepers serving crosses to each other, playing cutback balls, hitting all types of shots where you don't know exactly what is going to happen, where you have some goalkeeper coaches, and these are great coaches too, who are going to be like, okay, we're going to do 10 dives to the right, and we're going to make every single one of them perfect. And you have some goalkeeper coaches like Ian, who's like, we'll see where the shot goes. It could actually be no shot. And then they pass it, and then this cross a shot. Like, you're going to have to figure it out because no one's going to tell you in a game. So I think it's finding that balance where mm. you're getting the technical practice and reps that you need and then training the unpredictable scenarios that you are bound to face in a game because you could be the most technical goalkeeper on earth but if you don't know whether to come or to stay when a ball is played in on the ground behind your back line no amount of technique is going to save you so I think it's like striking that balance between doing the disciplined work to make sure that you're ready and then like throwing yourself into the fire intentionally so that you know what it feels like to burn without like dying, you know? So yeah, I like to train, I like to train both ways. And I feel like we find that really good balance here at Stanford and it's awesome. I mean, my favorite, my favorite drills to do are ones that my coach will call like a shooting circus where it's like, you're going to face four shots. Good luck. No one's going to give you time in between because you start making those saves and you're like, Oh my God, I can do anything. So it's, um, it's about striking a balance and also like striking that balance keeps you really fresh and it keeps you like, there's always something to improve on. So yeah, I'm, I'm addicted for sure. In the off season, um, it's no different. (laughs) 
it's no different. I'll just surf every now and again too. Um, but yeah, in the off season, we kind of, we take it a little bit easier in team training, just like with days of the week, we just train um, fewer days, but the intensity is always there. And I feel like the off season also gives us like, it takes the pressure off. So then you can actually look at certain themes where you're like, okay, last season, like I would say like last season, I wasn't super confident holding space behind my back line. I felt like I was dropping a little earlier. So in the off season, you can really get into like those specific scenarios and like dedicate an entire training session or two just to like focus in on certain themes. So like, I'd say I see the most improvement in my game in the off season and then season it's kind of like this um turn it on figure it out um live to play another day sort of like like push push through which is also like really fun it's just like figuring it out and that's what my dad will always say he's actually kind of been on my case recently he's like you're so worried about the technique and the why he's like figure it out man and I was like oh you're right like I'll just figure it out so it's it's twofold it's figuring it out and also doing everything intentionally and kind of understanding the why absolutely no i don't want to just reiterate what you just said but i i wholeheartedly agree i think that piece about balancing the sort of foundation of of being able to perform in an instinctual way right which is built upon all the extra work that you do on the side the repetition with also exposing yourself to like we, we call it here unscripted moments, like unscripted service, things like where it could happen, like anything could happen, which is the reality of the game. And I think some of the best goalkeepers in the, in the world on both the men's and women's side are goalkeepers who can react to adverse situations. Um, and like just go to pile on a, to, to what you said about making easy things look easy, making hard things look easy, making complex situations look simple, right? Taking a cross through exactly. a lot of traffic, taking a shot that, that has a deflection, but, may, but making it look like they saw it the whole way. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, no. So it, I, I, I could talk goalkeeper philosophy all, Me all, too. Day, all day, all day. Um, I guess the one last thing I'm curious about, and this, this is obviously kind of unique to Stanford is, are there any ways in which you guys try to incorporate opposition tendencies into your training? Or are you more sort of on the specific on the goalkeeper side, but are you, or are you more sort of just kind of focused on being prepared or is it like, whether it's USC, whether it's Arizona, there are tendencies that you guys are trying to expose yourself to leading up to the match. This is always kind of the, the answer that shocks people because you think like, Oh, Stanford, they're, they're smart girls. They're smart school. They must, they must like, get it down to a T. Um, we don't, we don't actually think uh, much about what the other team's going to do. Um, we, we, we do a scouting report the day of the game. Normally, since, you know, I, I'm the goalkeeper, I, I know who's shooting. Like I, I, I will do independent research if I need to, but I've right. played against the same players so many times. Like I know if we're playing Oregon, Zoe, who was on my club team, she's going to hit a left foot bender at some point, And I'm going to have to try and figure out how to save it. Like, I know if it's Arizona, they're going to run in behind us and it's going to be a lot of cutback crosses and through balls. Like I know, but as a team, we actually, um, we focus more on ourselves completely. I mean, we have our scouting report the day of the game where it's like, Hey, they're probably going to come out in this shape. These are their key players. These are their defensive tendencies offensive tendencies they're going to try and force you wide so we figure that out the day of the game but the week um preparing for those games on the weekends unless it is like a shape like ucla is going to throw like you into a three five two 
like we'll work on defending a three five two, attacking against a three five two, and kind of like how that shuffles things around for us. But we always try and be so in control of the game that we're not um, super worried about what the opposition might throw at us. And I think that that kind of speaks to our coaches, um, like directions that they give us when people ask us like, well, do you play possession? Do you play direct? Our coach will be the first one to say, we're going to play what you give us. Like we're going to play what the opposition gives us. So it has, it has, um, it kind of pushed us this season when we didn't have the ball as much and we hadn't really gotten our possession down. It was suddenly like, Oh no, we, we should have been more prepared um, for the way that Arizona state was going to swing the ball around. There have been times where we have to adjust, but I think like, the most important thing for us is like being able to adapt on the fly and make substitutions and figure things out and throw someone who is playing outside back up the line if they're just like open all day. So there are a lot of adjustments on the fly, but most of the time we kind of just stick to what stick to just like focusing on ourselves, which is, you know, it's, it's fun. (laughs) It's fun. Absolutely. No, it's almost kind of, it's kind of like a, like a paradoxical statement like to focus on ourselves actually prepares us better to face any sort of opposition right because I think you talked about you you guys trying to play whatever's given to you and I think the best teams in in college soccer at least are are the most versatile one I mean you guys just run to the national championship you had incredible attacking players and talent um, in the final third but also we're very we're very okay with being pragmatic at time and defending in a low block and then breaking on the counter. So Mm -hmm. I think to be able to do that, to be able to do many different things, you kind of can't afford to spend any time not thinking about yourself. Cause like, if we have to be able to be really good at everything, we can't waste time thinking about other people. So um, I really, really like that. I really, really like that perspective. Um, Mm -hmm. I guess that's an, that's an okay segue into sort of the college cup experience. I mean, I I feel bad asking you about this because I know you've been asked about it a thousand times. Um, but I just, I'd love to sort of hear your sort of ex- your perspective on what happened. And because obviously I've read about it and, and heard lots of other people put their two cents in, but I think yours is, is mm-hmm. the most valuable perspective in this case. Yeah. Um, well, this kind of ties into what I was talking about earlier about not being fully confident in knowing whether or not I was the starter, because honestly, I did not know. Um, after the semifinal, I did not know if I would start the next, the final. I didn't know. Um, yeah, it was, it was intense. And so basically we get there. This is my, sorry, this is my favorite story to tell. Um, we get there and it's in San Jose. It's at home. Basically we're 20 minutes away. It was at Avaya, right? So is that Avaya? I pass Avaya every time I go to San Jose airport, I get a little emotional. I'm like, did that really happen that way? And I'm like, it did. Um, So we get there, we get into our hotel, we have the banquet and it's just like four amazing teams staring each other down basically, which is fun. And it's always like, who's who, who's doing what, where's the tension at? Every team in this room thinks that they're winning. And it is just like, it's such a surreal experience to be surrounded by so many like amazing players. And I had been to the college cup before I'd gone the last year but I knew I wasn't playing last year. This year I knew I had to do something. I would be a big factor in whether or not our team won or lost. And I remembered from the year before what it felt like to go home after that semifinal match. I didn't want that. 
I was filled with confidence um, in my team and in our abilities after the season that we had had. We lost one game in preseason and hadn't lost since. And I was just like filled with confidence in my team, but I was so nervous about myself. And after that banquet, my roommate, they roomed us interesting. They roomed us with our, like our best friends and my roommate and I were chilling in our room after this banquet. Um, finals are the next week. So I'm like doing some schoolwork. And then suddenly I realized we have a game the next day and I just start like kind of pacing back and forth. And then she's like, what's wrong? I'm like, I'm so nervous. And then I'm just, I just start throwing up the night before the oh, game no. out of nerves, just throwing up because of my nerves. I can't sleep. Um, I'm so nervous for this game because I know it's against UCLA. We, we played them. We, we beat them in the Pac-12. We knew we could do it. And I just like started kind of freaking out. Um, not in like the get the coach way, but in the like, it's fine. You're fine. Like we're going to be fine tomorrow. So game day comes. Um, and I eventually I go to sleep and I'm like, Hey, like lock in, you got a kid, like you're fine. And so game day comes, um, my warm up was like, not great. Um, it gets delayed because the game before it ends up like getting delayed because of some reason. And so we're like in the parking lot of Avaya, like halfway through warm up halfway not warmed up and I just remember feeling super uneasy and being like this is this is weird like I don't feel I don't feel ready game starts and the unfortunate thing about not feeling ready for a game is the game's ready for you so mm, you well said you can't well pause said. yeah you can't pause and be like wait ref ref can we actually take like an extra 45 to start like I'm not feeling ready uh-uh there is no time so game starts I feel like I'm five seconds behind every play and obviously if you're the goalkeeper and you're five seconds behind every play, you are screwed. So right. seven minutes. Yeah. Right. So seven minutes in, um, a player on UCLA hits a shot from, I want to say 35 and it's just kind of a loopy shot and I'm too high off my line and I'm five seconds behind every play. So I don't start moving back quick enough. And it just drops in the goal behind me. And suddenly I'm like looking at the ball and the goal. I'm like, there's no way that they just scored seven minutes in. Like, there's no way that I did not do anything to stop that. So I'm just kind of standing there like, oh, like, wow, we are down one nil. If we don't score, we're going home. Like all the doubt is going through my head. And I just kind of like remember looking at my teammates being like, hey, we're fine. And then a different UCLA player, <laughs> um, Mia, runs past me she wasn't the one who scored but runs past me and just goes it's the keeper it's the keeper we scored because of the keeper we have to keep shooting basically being like she's trash shoot anything it will go in and I had just proved her right you know so it was like she had every right to say that it gets under my skin because I'm already pissed off we're already down and I knew it was my fault two minutes later we score a few minutes later we score again a few minutes later, we score again. So it's three to one. Um, about less than less than a minute or so left in the half, um, we foul someone in the box. It's Mia, and she gets up to take her PK, and I'm 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 ready. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, she she just said that they scored because of me. If they score again, this this could be a five six game. 
I think once you once you get two on a keeper, anything is possible. And so I was like, they cannot score because then we're three two going into halftime. Three one is a pretty comfortable lead, but three two absolutely is not. Mm. And so I was like, you have to save this PK. I ended up saving it, and it was a uh, it was a good shot too. <laughs> so I somehow I get there, and my teammate clears it out, and I just like. I was just kind of in my head, like, got him, like, like take that. So I get up, I march over to Mia, who is on the floor for some reason. I just go, is it the keeper? Is it still the keeper? And then my teammates think I'm about to like hit her or something. So they like pull me away. They start yelling at me and I'm like, I wasn't going to hit her, but like, hmm. like I would never obviously like that would get me in so much trouble. And I don't believe in violence as a means to solve problems, but like, I've ne- I'd never been more mad. Um, just because like she fully called me out on the last goal and then she didn't score her PK. So I was like, screw you, dude. Like how, how dare you? Like, is it the keeper? Like you couldn't bury your PK. Like, is it the keeper? So basically just like lost my stuff for about 30 seconds. Like, and <laughs> I instantly know what I did and I'm like, Oh no. So I got that on camera. So basically game game finishes without another, without another like weird thing that happens. And, um, so game finishes by the time I get on the bus, I have like a hundred notifications and it's just me. Someone tweeted the save and was like, this is a great save. This is awesome. And Mia quote tweets it and goes like something, something behavior, like horrible sportsmanship, something. And that tweet starts to go viral. Her coach then tweets it and that starts to go viral. Like basically I'm getting called out for being this asshole goalkeeper who saves a PK and then makes fun of the shooter without anyone knowing the actual like context, which is that she kind of started it. Like, did I need to respond in the way that I did? No, Mia, I'm sorry. Like we figured it out since then. Like I, I shouldn't have done it, but like they just got it on camera and I just look like I'm about to kill her. And it's just like, okay, so that starts going viral. My social media guy kind of um, pulls me aside and is like, hey, like delete, delete social media for the weekend. And I was like, okay. So I did um, because ultimately like we had a game in two days. Mm-hmm. U- UCLA had an eight hour bus ride back to LA to be sad on social media, but we didn't. We had to prepare for the next match. So my, my assistant coach, I love, I love that. I love that. I love that. Sorry. Keep going. Like my, my assistant coach kind of sits me down when we get back to the hotel and is like, what did you do? And I'm like, I'm sorry. Like I lost my, I lost my shit for a second. Like I did. I'm sorry. It came out. Like I couldn't hold it in. I literally like could not keep myself back. Like I was mad and I did. He's like, never do that again. And I was like, got it. I won't. And my head coach was like, never do that again. He's like, I secretly love it, but never do that again. And I was like, okay, deal. I won't. So no more fighting on camera. Um, And then, so basically my coaches are like, lock in. You have a game to focus on for the next one. And I was like, okay, you're right. And so I delete social media. I'm not on any sort of like app before the next game. And so I don't know what's going on on there. I, not my problem. No one's telling me about it. I'm just like, no one, no one's saying anything to me. Let's focus on studying for finals. So I do, I study for finals. I pass the time. And then Sunday comes around. It is the natty. And I was really honored that my team chose me to give the pregame, 
like speech. And I just talk about how all of the hard work that we put in has set us up to win and how we don't have to do anything extraordinary today. We just have to do what we always do, which is work hard, be there for each other. It's already, it's all already been set up. It's already been written by everything that we, by every single way that we prepared. It's all been written. We just have to go out there and sign our name on it and we'll come out champions. Like, it was just like one of those moments where everyone in the room is just like completely, totally bought in. And I'm just like talking to my teammates. I'm looking at them. They're looking back at me and I'm like, there's no way we fail. You can't fail when every single person on your team is holding you up. There's no way. Like, this is ours. No matter how long it takes. I said, we could go down. We could go down. We will come back. We could tie. We will win. Like, there was no doubt in the room. So as the game goes on, um, I'm just like, when are we going to score? We hit the post. Their keeper played out of her mind. Um, she's nuts. She's she's so talented. And, like, she's playing out of her mind. I'm playing well. Like, we're just going back and forth, us and UNC. It is, like, like <laughs> Rocky and Apollo. Like, it's just, like, nuts. Like, this game, like, could not be of higher quality. And the stadium, I hear it to this day. I can close my eyes and hear it where it's just, go! Stanford, like echoing throughout the stadium because it's massive and it was filled. And it's like half Stanford, half UNC. Somehow, somehow there's still Tar Heel blue across the country. It's like Tar Heels, go! Stan like it's just like ringing in my mind. And it was just surreal. Like the lights are like flooding onto the pitch and it's just like, uh, it's crazy. And we go to OT. The second we go to OT, I'm like, we're going to PKs. And I was just thinking about like the one before and I was kind of like, okay, well, you've already saved one in the college cup. Like let's, let's prove it wasn't a fluke. Like let's, let's save some PKs. And so in OT, um, I was lucky, I think, because I was not thinking about OT. I just kept talking to myself in the goal away from the action. Um, if you have to save five, you will save five you will win and PK. Like, if you have to save five, you will save five. Like, I just kept repeating it to myself over and over and over again. And then the whistle blows, and that means it's time for PKs. And my assistant coach, best friend, pulls me aside and starts talking to me. He's like, okay, like, we're, like, we're going to figure it out. I, I'm going to, like, kind of try and help you figure out where they're going. And I was like, okay. I'm not listening. <laughs> I can't hear a word he's saying to me. And like, kind of like grabs me by the shoulder. And he's like, this is why you came here. And suddenly I'm thinking back to my red shirt year. I'm thinking back to when I got cut. I'm thinking back to when I was a forward. I'm thinking of every single moment. And I'm just like, you are right. This is why I came here. We're going to do this. And I just remember not being nervous and my, all my friends are in the stands and I actually go over to the wrong goal because I went into the goal I was playing in and we were going to do it on the other side. But like the goal I went to was the student section. And I just remember like, I'm waving at my friends, smile on my face. And then the ref is like, yo, other side. And I just ran 120 yards to the other goal, arms extended, like I'm an airplane. And I just remember feeling so free, so confident, so ready being like, we're going to win. Like in, in the game, we were 90 minutes away. In OT, we were 20 or 30. 
Now we're probably about 10 minutes away from being national champions. And I saved the first one. And that just kind of set the tone. And I didn't actually realize this, but if, if freshman defender Kennedy did not make her PK, we would have lost. And she made it. So we went to the six shooter and I save it. And I know Kiki's next. So I know we're gonna win. And I don't even know if I watched her. <laughs> I don't even know if I watched her shoot, but I just know she made it. And then I just remember running onto the field and just instantly bursting into tears. And it was like the best feeling I've ever known. Just knowing that like we did it. And I just remember screaming, we did it, we did it. I was on the ground sobbing. My teammates were on top of me, cameras in our face. I don't even care where the trophy is. I'm just like shocked. I walk over to the goal. I just want to sit in it. Like it was just like craziest feeling ever. And um, that was that was definitely the best day of my life. A hundred percent. No, I can't even imagine. I remember watching the game in in Davis. Our season had ended a while ago, but we. But I remember watching the game and I could see like. I didn't see, they didn't show it on TV or I missed it when you ran across the field like that. But just in your body yeah. language, I was like, whoa, like she has got some serious confidence and some serious mojo going. And like, I think to the listener, it's important to reiterate like that maybe somebody could potentially like fake that confidence, but to really manifest it, it's sort of a testament of what you spoke about, right? All the things that you did. I mean, you, you reflected all the way back to being a nine-year-old. And I think like as goalkeepers, very rarely do we get a chance to be the hero in a very public way um it's more often like the opposite like you're the villain and it's like your fault um so just from a goalkeeper perspective i always I, it, it always makes me feel good to see somebody succeed in a big moment like that um but now hearing like the backstory of it um it makes it even better so it, it, it was i can't imagine what it was like to actually experience but it was for what it's worth it was very cool to watch on my laptop in davis california <laughs> awesome and that's, and that's ultimately, I think, what, what we're hoping for um, in the women's game right now in across all the sports is we need more moments like that that have an audience captivated on the edge of their seat, screaming at the TV or in the stadium, just inspired. And every little girl that was in that stadium walked away a Stanford fan. And <laughs> every person, every football player, Every, every Stanford student, every, every dad, every mom watching on TV across the country walked away going, that was crazy. Not even because of like, yeah, Stanford won the natty, but because of how good the game was and how you could not look away for a second because Sophia Smith was about to hit the crossbar and Pinto on UNC was about to saw someone in the mid just for Naomi, our center back to clean it up and somehow play it out. Like we were, you couldn't look away. And I think women's sports need more moments like that. And I mean, the NCAA basketball tournament kind of had that same excitement, that same feeling like you need to inspire the audience. So then more people play. And so then more people watch. And then eventually, like through moments of greatness, you have impact and you have just so much more conversation around the sport and more fans showing up to games. And then suddenly you have such a powerful league. And so like, it was it was such an honor to like be a part of that moment that has like kind of had influence even now almost two years later um just still gives me chills and also like have such a lasting impact on 
like the college game and like the Stanford program, like it's, um, it's what we need more of. So that yeah, was awesome. hundred percent. I hundred percent agree. Um, I guess certainly you talked about like the platform, um, that that game was put on in, in the viewership. And I think like, it kind of makes me think of sort of the platform or the, or the situation you were sort of thrust into um, in, in the weeks following as a result of kind of how, how the social media beast sort of took, took, took that, took that footage and ran with it. And then people were obviously putting in their, their random two cents. Like, was it, was it frustrating at all to see people saying things about you and not have a chance to like, put your two cents in. Cause you really were, I mean, I, I read, I, I tried to read as much of like the interviews that you've done in the past, but you didn't really get a, a super huge chance to, to put out there, like your side of the story. Was it at all frustrating or I guess, how did you sort of move through that? Process? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it was super frustrating in the sense that like, all I wanted to do was to say she started it. And all I wanted to do was tweet like, why are you so mad that we're competing? And it's like, even if she hadn't started it, even if I started it, why are you so mad that like we're competing? Tensions are high. There's there's a championship on the line. How how many times did it, a fight almost break out in the most recent like Euros? Like like well said. It could have been it could have been so much worse. And like, why are you so mad that like I am fired up about making a save? regardless of what she did or didn't do like I hope and this was what I almost also wanted to say is like if I hit a point where I don't feel that passionate about saving a penalty in a semifinal, I I'm not going to play anymore if I don't feel overcome by emotion that I just defended basically my family name to this girl who was dragging it down after she her teammates scored. Like if I'm not fired up, I'm in the wrong business. I will go and be a real estate agent. Like I, I will go to law school. I'll go into politics, but the passion has to be the thing keeping you in the game. And if you're not competitive and if you aren't fired up by a goalkeeper making a save and then kind of being like, yeah, what's up? You're, you're not a true sports fan. And I was kind of just like, I was shocked because I was like, I can't believe people think that this is bad sportsmanship. And I almost was thinking like, if the men's keeper did this, they he would be their new favorite goalkeeper. And to be fair, men's, men's players get flamed all the time for stuff like this. So like, it's not a unique case. And also to be fair, about half of the things online was, she is my new favorite goalkeeper. So it did go both ways, but it was kind of like, I was just a little bit shocked about how many people had something to say about it because I'm like, this is just sports, dude. I was like, if you think that this is crazy, come out to one of my training sessions mm. and watch how competitive it gets. Like watch any game, watch the feuds, watch the rivalries. Like you think it doesn't get intense every single time we play UCLA, every single time UCLA plays SC, we played UNC in preseason the previous season, and that was one of the most competitive games I've ever watched because I wasn't even playing. And it's like, I think people were so shocked that like a female athlete was so, so fired up because there's a lot of pressure to like be this crazy baller and to also to be what, what a lot of people would traditionally consider a lady and to like 
say please and thank you to the forwards who are trying to ruin your life? Absolutely not. Not as a goalkeeper. Maybe, yeah, maybe if I were like this elegant little midi, like who is just swinging passes around, but not at Stanford. Our midfielders are insane. They have to be able to hold their own. So it's like, if you aren't ready to fight and to put things on the line, you won't make it. One of the things that our coach always says is like, <laughs> when he talks about like wanting it, he's like, if people were coming to go to war and the warships pulled up at this practice field, you would run until your legs fell off. You would find a way. And it's like, if you don't have that innate sense in you to win and to be a championship and to survive, you're in the wrong business. And so I think, I think that the narrative around this is beginning to change. You have a lot of great media platforms now who are shedding light on like the badass moments where women are just competing. And I think that that's how it should be. We shouldn't have to have female athletes be crazy role models and perfect ladies and so well-spoken all the time. Female athletes should just be able to be athletes. Mm -hmm. And you would never, you would never go after um, someone who had just won an NBA championship and be like, okay, like, well, but were you the best sport? No, no one's asking those questions. They're just like, that was awesome. That was a crazy moment. That was badass. And it's just like, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be able to disqualify someone's athletic accomplishments by being like, but were you the best sport in the moment? No, I wasn't. And I, I am sorry to all the people that I pissed off by almost like by, by talking shit. I'm sorry. I really am. I should have kept it in. I should have kept my cool. I already promised my coaches it would never happen again. So it's not going to, but that shouldn't be the thing that you get out of a moment like that. You should get out or what I would hope that someone would get out would be that person that loved this game because that's where it all comes from in my mind. Like this, this desire to play and be great. It all just comes from the love of the game and it's, it's really just that simple, I think. Well, I 100% agree. I think, uh, I, I can't remember who said this, but like, I think it was a, I think it was a basketball coach. But he said, if you invest the way that we invest in, in our, in our process and our team, it ends in two ways, right? In tears or in like the most jubilant celebrations ever. And I think like, if you really bleed for something, if you really believe in something, um, then that gives you the right and the privilege to display it right and i think there are so many people who are uncomfortable with those big displays of, of competitive spirit and of positive emotion and they're uncomfortable with it because they themselves are not comfortable at making that investment um so it's a testament to like your commitment to your craft because like i mean i think those moments those moments are earned not given so i think like yeah i i you i can't say it better than you said so I, so i won't even try to but um <laughs> Oh, just in, 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 in the, in the grand scheme of things, this has been, this has been really, really cool for me. It's been equal parts, inspiring, instructional. Um, your mindset is, 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 is phenomenal. So it, it was awesome to get a chance to, to pick your brain and, and to, to hear how you think about things. Cause, um, cause yeah, it's really great. Is there anything, yeah. any, any, anything for you as we kind of wrap things up? Uh, I would just say to anyone listening, um, if this is in any way like inspired you or maybe made you think a little bit deeper about the moments that go in to greatness, um, turn on a soccer game this fall, pull up, to, pull up to Stanford. I will, 
I will put you on a list. I will get you in to one of our games. Like come, come watch it in action because there is no, there's no better. I mean, for my, for my story, there are hundreds of other stories like it where these girls are putting everything into this sport that they love. And I think watching that is always going to be inspiring. So everyone should really turn on a Pac-12 soccer game this fall and go Stanford. I, I couldn't be more thankful for like having the opportunity to represent my school and also just like women's women's soccer in general in the grand scheme of things. It's it's always just such an honor to like be able to like be the kid and play the game that I love and go to the park with my dad and work on my right foot. And it blows my mind every day that I go to Stanford and that I get to play for this team. So turn a game on um, and hopefully we can just do it all again. Well said. I'll be following. You got, you have a, you've got a, at least Stanford women's soccer fan here. I don't know about, I, we've played the men too much um, to, <laughs> for me to say that, but um, yeah, seriously, Katie, all the best this fall. And uh, thanks again for your time. This has been great. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the separation is in the preparation podcast. If you enjoyed it, please do what you can to share it with others. As always, you can find us on Instagram at the sep is in the prep, or if you'd like to reach me directly, I can be found on all social media platforms under the handle at wallapps11. Thanks and take care.